Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our live broadcast. Today we're looking at Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Three, Sutta 66-ish, 65 maybe. Depends which source you're looking at. 365 in 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 Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. And this is a well-known one. It's interesting. The Pali calls it the Kesamutti Sutta. Kesamutta. But in the Sri Lankan and the Thai and the Cambodian, and I think the Pali Text Society, it's called Kesaputta Sutta. Nikobodhi says Kesaputya. But it's well known as the Kalama Sutta. Kalama. Because the Kalamas were the people who lived in uh, Kesaputya. Yena kesa putang nama kalamanang nigamo tandawasari. But it was dwelling in the town of the case of, of the kalamas called kesa putia or kesa putti or kesa mutti. For those of you who know the Kalamas who don't know that it's what it's about, that it's often quoted and it's misquoted, loosely quoted, you know, saying don't believe anything except your rational, except what you, what is the quote? There's this terrible quote on the internet that's not actually a quote, it's a misquote. It starts off based on the Kalama Sutta, but then it says if it's if you can't you know, if it doesn't fit with your gut, basically, with your intuition, then don't then believe. If it fits with your intuition, then believe it, which is totally not what the Kalama Sutta says. The point of the Sutta is, again, to sh to talk about the difference between belief and truth, belief and knowledge. Belief is weak. The real problem, well, the real problem with belief is it could be wrong, but the evident problem with belief, even if you believe in what is right, is that it's weak. It's transitory. It's shakable. No matter how strong, Strong, how powerful you think your belief is. It's an incredibly weak quality of mind. Belief. Because belief, what we call belief, is not rooted in reality. It's not based on any evidence. We call it belief. Even based on evidence. Even that based on evidence is is shakable. 
you can believe the teachings of the Buddha, you can believe in yourself. You can think that you've understood the Buddha's teaching. And you can believe in it. And this happens, there are people who are sure about what, and then sure about what the Buddha has taught, and then the next day, the next minute, the next moment, they're suddenly full of doubt. Faith is something that is not It's not powerful, it's not strong. Talk about the power of faith. Faith is something that is, is arduous, something that's difficult. Faith is something that you have to maintain. The best way to maintain faith is to go around trying to convert others, make other people believe what you believe. It's a good way to maintain your faith because if you can convince other people then makes you feel better and it reaffirms that you must be right. So the sutta starts, there's this group of galamas and there were lots of religious people, religious teachers at that time in India and they were all teaching all sorts of different things. contradicting things. I was thinking about this today when at this ceremony in Toronto because Tiantai Buddhism, the monastery where we were at, I was reading this sutra that they have for us that I'm pretty sure was never actually taught by the Buddha, but um, made me think of my studies of East Asian Buddhism. And many different teachings that are contradictory and they Rather than, rather than accept that some of them must be wrong, they tried to put it all together under one religion. And you get that today as well, people trying to say that all religions teach basically the same thing. There's even a religion, the Baha'i faith, that believes that all religions um, arise, are, are all taught by the same God or something and, and they just come to people when when in the form that they're most acceptable to that group of people and we, we can't just say that some some teachings might just be wrong you know I have a hard time coming to that because the teachers who teach them might be eloquent and charismatic and teachings will be well taught And teachings might be might be steeped in tradition. And so they didn't know what to do. And and being a lay person, being someone who's caught up in busy daily life, you don't know what to believe. Which way should we practice? What should we do? So they went to see the Buddha, say, Well well, people believe he's wise, so let's go and ask him. And they said, 
wow, there's all these people who come and they, they explain and elucidate their own doctrines, but they disparage, denigrate, deride, and denounce the doctrines of others. And then the others come and they do the same thing. So which, which teach the truth, which speak the truth, and which speak falsehood? This is an interesting question to be posed as, as a Buddhist. I get this a lot, right? What's what do you think about Krishnamurti? What do you think about Kundalini? What do you think about this and that and the other thing? This teacher, that teacher. And the Buddha didn't answer it. He said, "Look." And he's he was asked this before: who is who is an arahant? Who is not an arahant? Which of these teachers are arahants? Which of these teachers are not arahants? And it, it's it's interesting. I think it, it's worth pointing out that he doesn't actually address that question, because even if he were to say, "This person is, this person isn't, or these none of these people are enlightened," what good does that do to the person listening? I can tell you what's right, I can tell you how to practice, I can tell you the truth. What good does it do you? So in Buddhism we focus more on, on uh, practice, you know, giving practice, what to do. We give, rather than telling about, talking too much about belief, or, you know, views and beliefs, give advice so the Buddha said don't don't go by tradition don't go by your teacher don't go by hearsay don't go by scripture don't go by logical reasoning don't go by inferential reasoning don't go by reasoned cogitation don't go by the acceptance of a view after pondering it you see, this is this quote that's going around the internet is exactly the opposite of what the Buddha said. Don't believe someone else believe because other people believe it. Don't believe it just because you believe it. Don't accept it just because you believe it. Don't accept it just because it seems reasonable or because you've logically worked it out. Don't go by someone just because they're your teacher. But when you know for yourselves these things are unwholesome, these things are blameworthy, these things are censured by the wise, these things, if accepted and undertaken, lead to harm and suffering, then you should abandon them. Go by what you can know. Go by what you can see for yourself. That's really the power of the Buddhist teaching, is the claim that you can know for yourself. The claim that that we have there are certain teachings that when put into practice you can overcome any need for belief, any need for well, any reason to doubt, because you can see for yourself. And so we stick to those things. 
in Buddhism. That's what's most important. Yes, there's lots of claims about angels and heavens and past lives and that kind of thing. But these are by people who have seen these things and they talk about them. It's not doctrine to say, you must believe me when I tell you this. That's not what the Buddha taught. But the Buddha did teach that if you practice in this certain way, you can see these things for yourself. Again, not being the point, but seeing for yourself, and then not only seeing for yourself, but seeing for yourself the most important thing, which is that which is good for you and that which is bad for you. You don't, have to, you don't have to believe anyone else when they say this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. You don't have to believe any of that. When you close your eyes and you open your mind and you cultivate clarity and mindfulness, you see for yourself how your mind works. All you need are the tools. and. That's really, I mean, it sounds simple. It sounds like, well, then, what do you need a teacher for? But that's the beauty of what the Buddha taught is he came up with tools that no one else could come up with. He came up with a, a clear framework that allows us to do what we're mostly unable to do, and that is to see objectively. Because we can't just look. You can't just close your eyes and see, see things. And I can talk a good game. But without the practice, without a framework, like the four satipatthana, the four foundations of mindfulness, or the basis of the five aggregates. Without all the many useful teachings of the Buddha that, that describe objective reality and describe the state of mind that is able to experience things objectively, we become lost and we simply follow our our inclinations and our biases and never see things clearly so the buddha makes it very clear to these guys he says well what do you think is greed a good is greed good for you no greed is not good for you and then but he doesn't accept this he says okay so you 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 tell me that it's for for harm but you maybe you're just telling me what i want to hear so let's analyze it what good is greed? Is greed good? Some people, some people think, yes, it's good to like this and like that, partial to this, partial to that. But based on greed, you can see it's greed which causes people to kill, to steal, to cheat, to lie, to do all these bad things. And if a person does these bad things, will, will that not lead to their harm and suffering? Oh, yes, indeed. What about hatred? Does it arise for a person's welfare or harm? These are things that we don't realize. The great, greatness of the Buddha is that he realized simple truths that are beyond our grasp. Not that hatred is wicked and evil and, and because of what it does to other people, but hatred is really bad for you. Greed is really bad for you. The Buddha was able to see that any sort of greed, anger, or delusion is problematic. And so I said, when you see this for yourself, when you see the, the results of greed, anger, and delusion, then give them up. 
And more than that, the, the power of the Buddha's teaching is that when you see them, you do give them up. All you need to do is see the truth, see the, the, the true nature of greed, anger, delusion. See that they are actually the problem. They're what's wrong with our minds, with our experience. And you say, what do you think? Are these unwholesome things? They're unwholesome. Are they blameworthy or blameless? Blameworthy. Censured by the wise or praised by the wise? Censured by the wise. And then he repeated himself for the opposite, non-greed, non-anger, and non-delusion. If, uh, if you read my Facebook quote today, you know I quoted the, the Visuddhimagga, which is apropos. Just a coincidence, really, that that should be what tonight we're talking about. So the opposite of greed, anger, and delusion is a mind state that's free from them. And Buddhism doesn't deal so much with cultivating special states like love or compassion or so on. Because even those those states are are, are artifices. They're not they're not the basic purity of the mind. The true escape or the true goal of life is not to become something, it's to let go of everything. And so when you have a mind that's free from greed, anger, and delusion, then it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you talk to or who you look up to. You can't be misled. You can't become deluded. You can't go wrong because your mind is clear. So he he phrases it this way, and he says, "Well, non-greed, non-anger, and non-delusion is are those good things?" And he said, "Well, then don't believe anything. Don't believe things. You don't need to believe anything." And this is what he meant. And so a person who is a person who is in and he describes the person who is in that state, who has freed themselves from greed, anger, and delusion. Their mind is full of love and compassion and appreciation and equanimity. And they dwell in that way towards all beings. And they have no bad feelings. And the Buddha identifies the the poison in the mind. And when you take out that poison, Everything is pure. It's healing the sickness. When you heal the sickness, you're healthy. You don't have to go about cultivating health. You just have to remove the sickness. This is what we do in meditation. We're not trying to attain a specific state. We're not trying to become something. Meditate, observe, watch until your mind becomes free of greed, anger, and delusion. And you'll see that that's all it takes. When your mind is free from those things, no matter what you do, say, or think, it's all pure, it's all free, it's all at peace.
and why this is the Buddha gives four assurances for someone that would round it all off, off and say what's so great about this because he's, he's avoided having to deal with views and beliefs he's dealing with very basic emotions says when you've given up these things given up greed, given up anger, given up delusion that's enough because one if there is a, if there is another world if there is if there is a heaven and afterlife you don't have to believe whether there is but if there is and if there is the fr fruit and result of good and bad deeds then one is more likely to be born in heaven But the second assurance is that if there is no heaven, if there is no, if there is no next life, no result of good or bad deeds, then still right here in this life, we have the good results of our good deeds. We've we've found the way to live the live life to its best and fullest. Yeah. Those people who don't believe in an afterlife still often miss miss out on this life miss out on the greatness that is possible in this life because they're caught up in base desires and are, you know, caught up in quarreling and caught up in arrogance and conceit and delusion what we're aiming for what we're striving for what we're working so hard for is to Is, is purity, is this, this ultimate existence, ultimate um, state of being, freedom, this ultimate power and certainty, the pinnacle of existence. And more than that, there's a third uh, the third assurance is that if evil comes to one who does evil, if there is a result of evil deeds, then good for me because I'm not I'm not engaged in evil. Right. So some people have the belief that he's talking about the various beliefs. If there's the belief that evil deeds have evil results, then you know good for me because I've given up them. But suppose there is no Suppose evil does not come to one who does evil. Suppose there is no result of evil deeds. It doesn't really matter because my mind is pure. Right here and now I am pure. Something like that. So these are important points in, in our spiritual practice because we come to Buddhism with all sorts of ideas and beliefs and views and expectations the meditation is really very simple it's not it's far from easy but it's a very simple practice of learning to see learning to see the nature of our body the nature of the mind the nature of experience learning to see the poisons those few things 
that without those few things, three things, without them everything else is okay. Everything else is harmless. Without these three things we're invincible. Just like a hand that is not a hand that is not cut can handle poison. But if you have a cut in your hand, the poison can get into your bloodstream and kill you. The Buddha said like a a hand that is free from injury. So the mind that is free from defilement can go anywhere, do anything, meet anyone, and not suffer not suffer the consequences of of bad and unwholesome uh, deeds. So that's the Dhamma for tonight. Not to take anything on belief, but to learn and to understand for yourself. And to focus on those things that are important. Not just the truth, but the truth that is good for you. What's good for me? What's truly to my benefit and to my detriment? That's what the Buddha taught. That's what's great about it. All right. So that's the Dhamma for tonight. Kalama Sutta, in brief. We have a few questions. We do. As far as I'm concerned, I think most of the suffering comes from people around us. On the simplest level, how does meditation make us see through attachment, desires, and clinging? How should we apply the concept of non-clinging towards the loved one? I mean, it sort of goes against what I was, what I've been saying, or, or the Buddhist teaching, really, that suffering doesn't come from people around us. It comes from our own defilements, the poisons in our own mind. But I think I kind of get what you're saying is um, people who are closest to us, right? People who are closest to us cause us the most suffering. Hmm can. For some people they don't. For some people they cause the most happiness. But the point is that we cling to them the most. We cling to them the strongest. That's why. So how meditation allows us to see through that? That's basically how I was saying. I mean the claim is, and you can you can refute it if you like, claim is that when you meditate you start to see that there's no benefit to this clinging even clinging to the people you love is not to anyone's benefit and to some extent we, we, we confuse love with attachment we think it comes they come hand in hand and you can't have one without the other and it's not really true you can have love for people you can be wish them well wish them good things without having been concerned about any sort of reciprocation or, or any expectations of how they should act or how they should be, how they should not be. But with attachment, when people make you happy, when you rely on other people to make you happy, their, their presence, their existence, their um, immutability, right? So that they're their predictability, dependability. 
if you rely upon that to make you happy, that quite clearly you're setting yourself up for suffering. There's no benefit that comes from it. And the, the, the a, a, attachment that comes from it is incredibly powerful. This is why our loved ones hurt us, because we have such powerful attachment based on an addiction, really because of such happiness that comes, right? A mother and their newborn child, there's such a strong attachment that is created. I mean, the nine months in the womb is feeding this attachment. And then when they come out and see that, when they see the child for the first time, such a strong attachment is born and cultivated. And that's why the children, children cause so much suffering to their parents when they say wicked and hurtful words, when they don't when they don't live up to the parents' expectations or when they cause when they do things contrary to the parents' wishes, when they misbehave, such stress and suffering because of the, the attachment that's come. And so parents over time they Parents are some, you know, when you, being a parent is, is in many ways a wisening experience because you realize how much suffering you have from attachment, right? I suppose we don't realize it, but we're, we're, it's a real learning experience because, because of the attachment that you have to them. And so parents of teenagers and when their children get older, they've gone through so much hell for the most part stress i mean even if the kids were behave themselves there's always the worry and the stress right until finally you start to realize and, and become wise in your old age and realize it's just not worth the stress hopefully and i suppose some people never learn that and they always worry about their children and grandchildren but i think many parents do even without meditation gain some sort of wisdom that those of i mean i've never had children but I, I think it's clearly there is some benefit in that sense to going through the child experience, childbearing experience, because you really learn about attachment in a way that the rest of us don't ever get to experience. I mean, my mother went through such hell with us. Four, four brothers, four boys. Um... I, I said horrible things to my mother, really cut her deep when we were growing up. I mean, I felt betrayed as well, but said some things to her that one should never say to anyone, let alone their parents. And a good friend of mine, who, who hopefully I'm going to see this week, an old friend, I was just thinking about her, because wow, her relationship with her mother was incredibly toxic. Anyway, we, we all have these, you know. If not us, we know of relation of family relationships. We don't think about it, but in this neighborhood around here, the amount of intense suffering, if you were to take all the suffering of, of a single neighborhood that we don't ever know about, we don't ever find out about, and just put it into a, a jar, you'd have such a toxic substance. So 
I mean, hopefully this gives some insight because it's it's a simple, there's a simple answer. It's just through meditation, but you have to understand why it is that those closest to us cause us the most suffering. It's because we have the most intense attachment to them. That's simple. Is it useful to travel, visit other, other countries, interact with new cultures and know different places of the world? Thank you, Bhante. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument to be made that it opens, broadens your horizons, opens your mind. I don't think there's nearly as much benefit as people think because it can also give rise to liking and, and even ego. You feel worldly, broadened your horizons. But I would argue that, I mean, if you want, it's a very sort of mundane benefit, but people who have traveled tend to be more open-minded than those who have not. In general, I mean, it's, it's a broad generalization, but all other things being equal, travel tends to broaden your horizons. I mean, the greatest benefit to, that I can see from traveling is that you step out of your own culture and you start to see what it is to live in, because you see people in a different culture, you see people from the outside, you see how steeped we get in our beliefs and our views and our traditions. And it's amazing how you go to one culture and people are so sure that this is the right way to live and this is good. And you go to another culture and it's totally different, but that's the way you should live and that's what's good. I mean, there are similarities and there are things that they actually get right, but there are some things that are just, you see how attached we get to, to identity. Nationalism is a terrible thing. And clinging to culture is just, well, there's potential for a great problem. Much problem, much trouble. So I, mean, I, know. I think a really real Buddhist answer is like in the Tao Te Ching, he says, when a master travels, he doesn't have to leave the he doesn't have to leave the cart, and he knows everyone. Which which to me means that when you know yourself, you understand everyone. You don't need to go around learning things from other cultures. It, it, all of what I've been saying is is for for most you know ordinary people, but for an enlightened being, or or an enlightened being has has that has never need, doesn't need any of that because they understand themselves they understand the mind and so they understand every single being on earth uh, in, in the universe and they understand the whole universe because you know the buddha said the universe is within us it's within the six foot frame the beginning of the universe the end of the universe it's all here you don't need to go traveling Sorry, Robin, you cut you off. No, that's okay. I was, I'm glad you finished your answer, Bhante. It was good. Oh, you're going on to the next one? Huh? Yes. Okay, you're going to comment. Oh, no. I notice that when I am mindful for some time, I start to get to the witness state. Should I try to remain in that state? Is there anything useful about it? I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, it could mean many different things, and I'm going to purposely play dumb because there's no there's no thus state this or that 
if you have a feeling, it's a feeling. If you have an awareness, it's an awareness. You don't ever get into... I mean, why? why? Because it's dangerous to start labeling things as things. And things don't exist. There's only experiences. So when you feel something, you say feeling, feeling. When you are aware of something, something's going on, you say knowing, knowing. Whatever state you're in. Because any state that you're in is impermanent, unsatisfying, uncontrollable. It's not the goal. When doing walking meditation, I'm very aware of the feeling of my foot on the floor after I've placed it there. Should this be noted as feeling? You don't have to note everything. In walking, it's just a simple exercise to teach you how to note something. So just try to be aware of the foot when you do walking meditation. You don't have to... Being aware of it is a part of the practice. You'll start to be aware of many things. But as long as you're noting the basic movement, your mind will stay objective, and that's enough. If there's a feeling that takes you away from walking, then you should stop walking and note the feeling. So if, for example, your your mind is is focused fairly strongly on that feeling that you're talking about, then you should stop, and it's a good good exercise to stop and then focus on the feeling. Put your feet together and then focus on that feeling and say feeling, feeling. So, I mean, technically there's no wrong if you note something as, if you note, if you note a feeling as feeling, you're doing okay. Um, all, all we're concerned about is that the walking meditation in particular um, needs to be, need, it, to be successful, you need to actually do some walking. So. To note everything is, is is somewhat counterproductive. If I'm listening to someone, should it be noted as listening or should it be noted as hearing? Listening is the state of mind. So if you're aware of your mind as listening, like the intention to listen, that would be listening. But hearing is the experience. Hearing is closer to what's actually um, the, the the physical side of it. So listening is the mind, which is, makes it fine, but hearing is the physical, more focused on the physical. And hearing, hearing is probably better relating to the actual experience. Listening only refers to one's mental intention. because the experience is just appearing. I think you're all caught up on questions, Bhante. Mm -hmm. How do you all like the new site? I finally put it on my phone and it looks great. It, it really is. I didn't even get around to putting it on my phone for the first few days and it's great it really is you know perfect for mobile
See, someone made an appointment, someone called me this evening and uh, didn't get the call, but there's no one signed up for that slot. That's great things happening. We've got people still doing the online courses. People have come here. Someone, someone who had booked a, um, a course and was set to come in August, and then they changed it to September. And just today, they, you know, they said they wanted to stay with us for months, potentially, and help out. Um, so we've been talking back and forth. And finally, today, they, they asked for the address. And so I gave them the address. And they wrote back and said, you know, I was thinking, you, I thought you were in northern Thailand. Why are you giving me an address in, in Canada? And so oh, it's another one of these. But this is funny because they had they had really gotten ready to come or to go to go to northern thailand i guess and uh so i said no we're in canada didn't you read the website because it's pretty clear i hope on the website we used to have a checkbox on the application form i understand that this is in ontario canada not northern thailand because apparently there's still this website, dhammatai.org, that still, still after over 10 years of trying to get them to change it, still tells, says that our website is the go-to place for taking a course at Chomtong. And as recently as this past winter or spring, I had written to them, I had gotten their Facebook page mm -hmm. and wrote to them and said, can you please... Mm -hmm. Take I off told, that link. I told this person, I said, we've been trying for over 10 years. <laughs> Were you affiliated with that monastery at some point, Bonte? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was the one who told them. And, I mean, it was it's surprising because they were very quick to put it up. I was the one because srimangalu.org, I was a gift to Ajahn Tong. And um, the group that I was with, the uh, lay people didn't want it. They wanted like ajantong.com. No, they wanted, yeah, they wanted adjantong.com or something like that. Which I wasn't so much against, the adjantong part, but how do you spell adjan? There's like three different ways of spelling it. So I chose Siri Mangalo because you can't mess it up. And uh, it's kind of generic, so it's not all about the person exactly. And then I talked to the monastery to see whether they wanted it, and they said no, they wanted jomtong.com. So they wanted it about the, all about the monastery. And so I kept the site. I said, well, fine, I'll use it for my own work. Then. Okay, on the new website, um, there isn't a place for settings. What do you mean by settings? Um, well, there were there were some settings, you know, basic things like um, choosing the notification tone or the the chime at the end right. of the session. And Is there a chime? Um, 
I haven't used it in that way. I think there might actually be a chime, but yeah, they're they're working on it. If you want to okay. see what they're working on, go to GitHub. Oh, okay. So things will be added. Uh, yes. There's a link. If you go to the help in the in the menu, you'll see a link to the issues. If you if you want to send feedback feedback, go to the GitHub repository. It also explains how to get a get a get a profile image. We're working strictly with Gravatar, which is good because it's seamless and it's painless. So if your if your username looks like a shadow of a shadowless shadow of a nameless, faceless person, and you want to actually get the picture, you have to go to gravatar.org. Gravatar means globally recognized avatar. Okay, well, it's been a long day. I was in Toronto today at this Chingguok uh, temple. I took the bus. I took like three buses. A bus, a, a bus, local bus, a provincial bus and then a Toronto bus. And I got a ride back, thankfully. Fernando mentioned you can change the ringtone in your profile, but I don't actually see where. Yeah, I'm not sure that that exists yet. You can change the sound in your profile. Maybe that's planned. Oh, you can, you can. Yeah, you can. Hmm. I'm missing it. You have to edit your profile. Ah, okay. And there it is. Yep. Still got the bird sound. Nice. That's a mishmash of a bunch of files. Oh, no, it's not. It's a part of a file or something. Something from the internet. That's one. That is a great one. When when I first used that, my family thought there were actual birds like in the side yard that were fighting or something. Mm. So loud. It's good though. It's a good sound. Gravatar.com. Okay, well, that's all then for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Hope it's useful. I'll try to keep going every night to give some teaching and answer some questions. Remember, the work is for you. You have to do the work. Never get that Pali right. The work is for you to do. What is Atapa? Atapa will be with Atapi. The work is for you. You have the meditation we have to do on our own. It's not about just coming and listening to the Dhamma. So good on everyone. That's why this site is a meditation site. We didn't have a social network. or We used to have all these different things, but this one gets right to the point and a place for meditation. So 
I'm glad we have this, and it's awesome that we have a group of people working on it. I almost, I almost crashed our server. Well, I did crash the server, but uh, someone was looking out for me, and there was an hour, a backup right before that. We, the system had made a backup right before I messed it up. So I just, with a couple of clicks, was able to fix it. And now uh, the, the the admin have taken away my my power user rights. I, I no longer have the ability to do such things, which is good because I used to really come very close to messing up the old server, which I can't do anymore. So it's great that we have people who are actually going to actually know what they're doing and are actually going to take care of the server and make it work. So everybody, a big round of applause and thanks for them. And please do go to github.com if you're in the help menu, you can see the GitHub link. If you know anything about programming, please go over and help them out. Uh, but most importantly, use the site. We get the most merit for making the site when everyone uses it and puts it, makes it, uh, get, gains benefit from it. So great, great, great goodness for all involved because of the benefit that we get out of this. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. See you all tomorrow. Thank you, Bhante. Thank you to the IT team. Good mm -hmm. night.